Father, we thank you so much, Lord, because there's so much to be thankful for. We have abundance of a lot of things, Lord. We're healthy. We live in a free nation that tonight we can gather and freely worship you, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you be with us tonight, Lord, and let your Holy Spirit convict us, teach us, and show us, Lord. Lord, we're here to glorify you and to worship you as a body, and we just want to do your will. We want to know more about you, and we want to be obedient sons and daughters, Lord. So, Lord, just help us, and we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So, if you, if you were here last week, you may recall that Pastor Dave ended with um, chapter 7. Um, tonight... I'll just briefly talk about chapter 7, but we're actually going to jump into chapter 8. Um, chapter 7, however, um, what happens in chapter 7 is Solomon built his palace. Okay? Um, it took seven years for the temple of the Lord to be built. And it took 13 years for Solomon's temple to be built. Now, Solomon's temple didn't take longer uh, because it was more extravagant or it needed to be perfect. Um, it was not the case. Two main reasons why the Lord's temple took seven years. Well, one was that we know in First Chronicles 22 that David spoke to his son, and he charged him. He commanded him to be in charge of building the temple. It was a priority. And at the same time, we also know that years before the beginning of the building of the temple, David began preparing, gathering for the building of the temple. Now, this is very, very interesting. Now, we know that David had peace and contentment about Solomon taking over this project because we know that David wanted to build the temple for God. And as we know, God said, you will not be able to, your son will. Now, this is very important because even though David wanted to do this, he was not allowed. So we know that what happened is he prepared the way. And you know what? Sometimes we want to do things, right? Sometimes as leaders, we want to focus on the end point. We want to focus on the conclusion, on the goal. But sometimes as leaders, as parents, as whatever it is that we do, our job in some cases may be that, to prepare the way for our brothers, to prepare the way for our sons, to prepare the way for our daughters, to prepare the way for the church family. So it's not always better or greater to be the one at the end, dedicating the temple. But we do know that somebody has to prepare the way. We know that John the Baptist did it for Jesus. So we can, can, we can assume that David was at peace about this, and God gave him this peace. Now, let's go ahead and jump to uh, chapter 8 of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion, 
Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So, all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place. In front of the inner sanctuary, but they cannot be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, and it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said, He would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. So we'll go ahead and go into more details of these verses that we just read. And as we know, at the beginning, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel. Now, these were the senators, the judges, the rulers. These were respected men that were in charge of the local government. These were the men who advised Solomon in all different types of matters. Now, we know that every society, every group, every community has leaders. And that's something that we got to address tonight is, is God calling you to be a leader? Is God calling you out of the crowd to be a leader, to stand out, to be different? If that's the case, it's time to do it now because somebody's going to lead. You know, people are looking for leaders everywhere. And, of course, they're not looking for perfect leaders. It doesn't exist. They're not looking for people who sound like they're great leaders. They're looking for Genuine leaders who are willing to share the truth, the ups and downs of life with each other. So if God is calling you out to be a leader, you can rely on God to see you through it, to prepare you for it, because it's he who's going to do the work in you. And we might say that tonight, that today, tomorrow, now more than ever, we need people to be 
leading the way. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. It takes a leader. It takes a leader to do that. So I want to encourage you. If, they have, if there's been things in your heart, in your conscience, God is calling you to be involved more with the church, Sunday ministry, evening studies, do it. God will provide. Now, here's the thing. Right now, somebody's leading you. Who is leading you? Right now, your children are being led. Who and what are leading your children? And where are they leading them to? Where? We need to lead. We need to lead them to the Lord. We need to lead them to the Word of God. You know, the temple wasn't ready to operate until the Ark of the Covenant was set in the most holy place. The Ark was the most important item in the temple. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it's, it's a holy container, a gold-covered wooden chest where the Ten Commandments were kept. The Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God. I would say this was really the Holy Ark of God. The Holy Ark of God. Because we know that God gave Moses and Aaron specific instructions about the movement of the Ark. Specific instructions needed to be followed if this was to be moved. Now, listen to what happened when David did not follow these instructions. And instead of letting the Levites transport the ark, he did it his way. Now, 1 Chronicles 13, 9 through 12. And when they came to the threshing floor of Sidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark. For the oxen stumbled... And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. Now, this is interesting. Now, you would think that he's doing a good thing, reaching out, making sure it doesn't fall. And it's like, all right, you did it. You were alert. You were ready. But that's not what happened. R.C. Sprawl commented on this. And he said, perhaps Uzzah thought that his hands were more clean than the dirt in which the ark would have landed. God is holy. God is holy. And God gave instructions specifically to Moses and Aaron about how to handle what steps to take when the ark was moved. Now, we know, as we just read, it was in the seventh month that the temple was dedicated. Now, the temple was finished in the eighth month, but he waited 
another full year to do the dedication of the temple on the seventh month. This was because for the temple dedication to coincide with the Feast of Booths, which was already going on in Jerusalem, which is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles, which was basically a week-long celebration remembering the 40-year journey the Israelites had in the wilderness. So this was wise in Solomon's part where he knew that they would be there already to be able to dedicate the temple. Solomon did obey the instructions in regards to how to move the ark. He did not do what David did. And Solomon very carefully understood the process of transporting the ark. He wouldn't repeat the same mistake that we just read about. You can read more about in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 8. As we know, the Ark of the Covenant was the most important item in the temple, but not the only item. They also brought the lampstand, uh, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense from the tabernacle in the temple. Now, it's generally agreed that there were two tabernacles, one in Gideon and the other in the city of David, which David had constructed as a temporary residence of the Ark while the temple was being built. We also, we also read that they were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Imagine they were sacrificing so much and so many that they had no idea how much. But we know the sacrificing of animals is really a temporary covering of sin. And they knew that, and they knew that this was temporary as they awaited the Messiah. Now, it's also very important to know that they understood that they had sinned, and that they had sinned against God, and they needed to be removed and forgiven of their sin, the purpose of sacrificing. Now, as we read in Hebrew Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, listen to this. For the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the realities themselves. It can never, by the same sacrifices offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would not these offerings have ceased? For the worshipers have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt the guilt of their sins. Instead, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is important, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now just imagine what it's like to gather annually to do, to do these sacrifices 
for it to be a reminder of the sins that you have committed against God. I mean, it doesn't really sound like a great party, right? It doesn't sound like a phenomenal thing to do. You know, okay, let's go. We got to go and sacrifice. Why? Because we got to, you know, we got to remember the, the last year we've been sitting all over the place and we got to go ask for forgiveness. But nonetheless, they knew they had this sin and they knew that forgiveness was needed. Now, if we jump down to the, cha- to the same chapter of Hebrews, verse 14 Because a single offering he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and inscribe them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, an offering for sin is no longer needed. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, an offering for sin is no longer needed. If you don't remember nothing about tonight, or I'm asking you to at least remember one thing, which is exactly what we're talking about here about the sacrifice. And if you don't listen for the rest of the day, the rest of the evening, that's okay. But just listen to me now, okay? Because, guys, the perfect sacrifice has already happened. The only sacrifice that could pay for our sins has happened. The blood of Jesus paid for our sins. We don't need to sacrifice goats anymore or things anymore. Listen, this has taken place. This is the truth. This is a fact. We know it not only in the Bible, but we know it in also outside sources that Jesus resurrected. You can close your eyes and in this very moment, in this very moment, you can repent and ask God to forgive you of your sins. Because it's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Today, this very moment, right now, your sins could be removed and forgiven. This moment. Because it's been paid for. It's been shattered. There's no other sacrifice greater than the blood of Jesus. None. Now, there were actually uh, three items in the Ark of the Covenant. One was the golden pot that had the manna, which is 
how God fed the Israelites in the wilderness. There was also Aaron's rod that it was a walking stick, remember? And remember that movie, The, the Ten Commandments, or with Charlton Heston, I believe? And it turns into a, a, a snake or it turns into, a, makes the, the, the lake full of blood. But basically that. Um, and of course, the tablets of the covenant. Now, according to what we read here, the only thing that was, the only thing they had was the tablets. The other two items, we just don't know what happened to them. We don't know. Um, but we do have um, proof or other writings that say that, well, those other items were also included. Now, the word says, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. Now, this is, this is incredible, and this is, this is also proof of why we need to start living our spiritual legacy now and today and always. Because now we know that there was a covenant that was made with the children of Israel, we know that he was going to set them apart and be a holy nation. We know that God does not lie. Just before this is happening, you know, God is making this covenant. And now 500 years later, after God has freed the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the wilderness, now he's bringing them all back around to dedicate the temple. So what God says is going to happen will happen. Has God promised anything to you? Has God said anything to you? Have you read the scripture and all of a sudden you're like, and something just stands out so powerfully and you're like, whoa, God, what are you telling me? And you feel the Holy Spirit of God truly just convicting you and letting you read that over and over again. If God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. God does not lie. Now, it's in his timing, because his timing is perfect, not ours. But 500 years later, the descendants are now back at this pinnacle moment in their history, dedicating the temple to God. Now, you have children, as they have children, and as they have children, and as they have children, we got to ask ourselves, what legacy are we leaving behind? What have we taught them? What are we teaching them? As committed that we are to Christ, that's how committed most likely our kids will be. If you're committed Sundays, they'll see, well, Christianity is a Sunday thing. If you're committed daily, well, well, they understand that this is an everyday thing. But I remember once my wife and I, we went to go listen to a recording of uh, a video series by Dr. James Dobson called Legacy. And he was sharing with all of us that as a little boy, he remembers sleeping next to his parents' mattress. And his dad will just hold his hand as they were sleeping. 
And he would pray for Dr. Dobson. And he keeps telling the story. It's like he, he says it like it happened yesterday. But of course we know that he now has, you know, he got married. He has two sons. But that legacy started way before with the example that we're giving our children, with the truth that we're sharing. When we talk about God, when we talk about the truth, we say God is love, right? And we love saying God is love. And that is true. Now, there are, there's other attributes of God. However, God is love is, is huge. God's love is great. However, you know how we truly know God's love is great? Because we know our sin was great. Because we know our sin is great. So we got to be honest with our condition, with our sin, because we have a problem. But if we're really lying about the problem that we have, then you know what? This solution is not really, eh, it's okay. But the fact of the matter is sin is a big, big problem. And therefore, the blood of Jesus is a great, phenomenal, huge solution. The only solution, the only way, the only truth. We're all looking for truth, guys. We're all looking for truth. Is it my truth? What am I going to tell my kids? My truth? What I want? What I, what I, what I feel like? Verses 10 and 13, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place. Then the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. The cloud filled the house of the Lord. This was the cloud of glory. But how can we define this cloud? I don't think we have any words to really say, to really describe. But we know that it's powerful. We know that it's great. We know that it's magnificent. We know that it transcends. We know that it's like, all right. But how can we define it? A radiant, shining presence. But what is this cloud? What is this cloud? You know what this cloud is? This is the cloud that stood by Israel in the wilderness. This is the cloud of glory that God spoke 
to Israel. This is the cloud from which God met with Moses. This is the cloud that stood by the door of the tabernacle. This is the cloud of Ezekiel's vision, filling the temple of God with the brightness of his glory. You guys know that song, I See the Lord Sitting on the Throne, and it filled the temple with his glory? He filled the temple with his glory? And we know that Daniel saw an angel, and he had six wings. Two wings to cover his eyes, two wings to cover his feet, and one to fly. But imagine God's glory is so powerful that not even God's angels created to glorify and worship God can stand it. They got to protect themselves because it's, it's just too much. That's how powerful the cloud of God is. This is the cloud at the transfiguration of Jesus that we read about in Luke chapter 9. This is the cloud of glory that received, that received Jesus into heaven. This is the same cloud. Now listen, this is the same cloud that will be displayed when Jesus Christ returns. It's the same cloud. So, is this cloud calling you right now? Is this cloud calling you right now? Because this cloud will keep you This cloud will comfort you. This cloud will lift you. This cloud will defend you. This cloud will protect you from your enemies. This cloud will make sure you go all the way. Because this is the same cloud in which when God said that he will complete the work he started in you, he will complete it. But this is the cloud that so many of us need for comfort and protection and defense. And how often, and how many memories do we have, maybe going back to your childhood, maybe in the last 10, 20 years, or even recently, in which we feel we need and we desire protection and comfort. I mean, we can safely say that there's a lot of folks out there who are full of fear. And some are worried. Some are stressed. Are you worried today? Are you stressed out today? Are you full of fear today? What's your condition like this moment? Because as we sang earlier today, in those words of the song, it says, if the sun frees you, you should be free indeed. Because God has taken us from slavery to freedom. Because you're free. Because it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. God is returning. Jesus Christ will be returning. We don't know when. We don't know when. However, we know 
that has been paid for. And it's powerful. Because so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. Now just imagine being there, celebrating with all these folks. They're dedicating the temple, and all of a sudden the cloud comes upon, and now as you're ministering to your, to your friends, to your folks, to the people around you, you're frozen. You're paused. You, you can't do anything. And I think this is really a good description of what's going to happen to you, what may have happened already, which is this. When God reveals himself to you through his Holy Spirit, you will know. And everything will freeze and you will not be able to do anything else because you will know at that very same moment that this is God, the only God, the only true God. Because the assurance that we have is not so-so. It's full assurance. It's 100% assurance. I'm not here because I may be believing this. I fully believe in this. But you know what helps me believe in this? Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within me. And I know that where I am weaker, God is stronger. And we know what? Paul talked about this when he talked about the thorn. And some folks say that maybe it wasn't a thorn. Some say it was a tent stake that God will keep with you. And will not remove it. Paul prayed three times, please remove this from me. Please remove it. Please. God did not remove it. God did not remove it. But nonetheless, even though Paul had the thorn, he was still able to write these letters and truly say that it's for my own good. That I can still glorify God. That I am still free in Christ. That I am full of joy. There's nothing greater than the presence of God. Nothing. And I hope that this week, as you get into prayer, as you read the word, I pray that you can say, the cloud of God is with me right now. And it overwhelms you so much. And it breaks you. Because if it breaks you, that's good. Guess who's going to bring you back up? God himself. And there's nothing greater that even though when we have so much pain and we have so much need and we have so much just bad memories, to see God himself rebuilt your life, your story. And this is the same God that you need to know this is happening. And right now, you need to know that if you have family members, if you have children, grandchildren, that perhaps you're, not, you're worried about their walk with God, listen, the cloud of God, like this in a moment, will break your children, will change them, transform them. How do I know that? Well, number one, it happened to me, a self-claimed atheist for many years, but I know it happened to you. 
But this is your God. What he says, he does what he says. And he comes through. And just because you may have a thorn, it doesn't mean that he's not a great God. This thorn, this tent stake that you have is for your own good. It's for God's glory. It's for you to make sure that you continue to be connected, anchored in Christ, and not in you, and not in you, and what you want to do. And just like we see years later, here, the folks that were led out of Israel, out of Egypt, sorry, all those family members, all, all those folks, guess what? I mean, they're there now. They're there now dedicated on this temple. So I just want to leave you with this, that God is this powerful. In a moment, this cloud can be upon you. We have categories. Big problem, medium problem, small problem. Guess what? To us, to God, our problems are tiny because we have a great God. It doesn't matter what it is. But, of course, we're more concerned about eternity. We're more concerned about our children, our spouses. I tell my kids, listen, I'm going to die one day. But I want to make sure, and I know that, I'm, that you're going to be okay, because you know the truth. You know God's truth. You know where to go for repentance. You know where to go to ask God to forgive you. And I'm going to die a happy man, because I don't have the answers. Just ask my wife. But God has the answers to whatever one of your struggles is right now. And guess what? It'll come upon you in a cloud, and you will be so overwhelmed. And you'll see that your Father in heaven is perfect, sovereign, in control, of absolutely everything. And you, will, and you will be able to say that even when you're crying and you're full of pain. You'll know. What do you think comforts a couple who continue to have miscarriages because they can't have a baby? What do you think happens one time, two time, three time? Four time. How can they possibly not be full of pain? But you know what? Even so, that may be their reality. But they still will be able to say, God is still good. God is still in control. Because the cloud of God is over them. Let's pray. Father, We can only imagine what it was like for this cloud to bring everybody to their knees and for this cloud to pause everybody, for them not be able to do anything because it was so powerful, it was so overwhelming that they were just there. But we know that they were there because they were understanding that God 
is real, that God exists, that God is powerful, that God is real, that God is truth. And Father, we know that you know our hearts better than anybody. And we know that many of our family members, our church family, our relatives, they've had a tough, they've had a tough year. And they themselves may be in a cloud, they just might be in the wrong cloud. But Lord, we just pray right now that, that you be the cloud that they be under. A cloud that will protect them from above, from below, from the sides. So Lord, allow us this week, this evening, to spend time with you and surrender. Because why would I want to be in my cloud? Lord, we want to be in your cloud. We want to be under your cloud. The perfect refuge. So Lord, thank you for the perfect sacrifice. We don't have to worry about having this annual reminder of the sins that we have. When we can have this daily reminder that our sins have been forgiven and that we have been forgiven forever. So Lord, thank you for all you do for us and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God guide you through the wilderness into his heart. I'm going to be up here. I'm going to ask Dennis to come up here also. If we can pray for you, I'll be up here. Dennis White will be up here too. So if there's anything that we can pray for you for, uh, anything, please step on by and uh, we would love to pray for you. Have yourself a great evening and uh, see you soon. Thank you.